This week's message is sponsored by Harrison Audiovisual Ministry. Each week, the AV team sets forth on a mission to provide an extraordinary worship experience to those joining us each Sunday, striving to provide the best lighting, sound, and visuals possible. If you're interested in learning more information or getting involved, please email audiovisual at harrisonchurch.org. We hope you enjoy this week's message. I'm going to invite you to stand as you are able as we read this morning from the Old Testament, the Torah, the book of Exodus. The whole congregation of the Israelites set out from Elam, and Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. So this is when they were in slavery in Egypt. Then the Lord said to Moses, I am going to rain bread from heaven for you, and each day the people shall go out and gather enough for that day. That's starting to resonate. Give us this day our daily bread. In the evening, quails came up and covered the camp, and in the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the layer of dew lifted, there on the surface of the wilderness was a fine, flaky substance, as fine as frost on the ground. When the Israelites saw it, they said to one another, what is it? That's actually where we get manna. Manna means what? Moses said to them, it's the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather as much of it as each of you needs. An omer to a person according to the number of persons, all providing for those in their own tents. The Israelites did so, some gathering more, some less. Those who gathered much had nothing over, and those who had gathered little had no shortage. They gathered as much as each, each of them needed. Now, in case I forget to say this in the sermon, I want you to pay attention to what they're saying what they're not saying. It's not like everybody had the exact same amount. So if these people had teenage sons, they needed more manna, okay? But they had what they needed. And Moses said to them, let no one leave any of it over until morning. But they didn't listen to Moses. Some left part of it until morning. And it bred worms and became foul. The surplus got foul. And Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning they gathered it as much as each needed. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Give us this day, O oh Lord, our daily bread. Uh, i got to tell you, you know... Um, when I'm with groups of people, it's, it's fascinating to me how uh, some people interpret this petition in the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread. Uh, when I'm in the room filled with people who have plenty to eat, like me and like all of us, it's interesting how we almost immediately spiritualize this petition. People will say, the affluent, will say, uh, hey, what this really means is that we're asking God to give us a spiritual boost for the day. Just enough strength to get through the day. And I hear this, I'm just, I'm just not buying it at all. Because see, when Jesus was actually teaching his disciples these words, he was preaching, he was teaching to peasant people. People that would not have had, if they would have known, if they were going to have enough to eat from one day to the next. Especially during periods of the year. And you know, if a drought happened, man, it could have just wiped out everything. So what Jesus is actually teaching, and this is what we're going to think about this morning, is that God Almighty, the God of Israel, cares more than just for spiritual things, right? The God of Israel actually cares for material things too. 
things like food. And this God cares about whether people have enough to eat of these material things. It reminds me of Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, in one of his sermons. He said, it's all right to talk about streets flowing with milk and honey over yonder. But ultimately, people need something to eat down here. And God is very concerned with, with the things of food. Give us this day our daily bread, the material stuff of this reality. It's really, though, um, I've never done this before. It's a very interesting concept to just think about just food. Like, when was the last time you thought theologically about just food? I was doing this this week, things I'd never thought about. Like this, think about it. That you and I have to eat something demonstrates, maybe more than anything else, that we have no capacity in ourselves to will our own existence. We can have all the greatest technology in the world, but unless we eat something, guess what's going to happen? You will die. And this is interesting. Like, to even eat something demonstrates that we are really dependent creatures. Like, we're really dependent on the things of creation. We like to think of ourselves as human beings as somehow divorced from the realities of creation. We're not like other animals, but other animals eat. we got to eat, too. And so that we even have to eat something shows that we're utterly dependent on the things of creation and, and that when we eat something, think about what we're doing. We're taking something that was alive in creation and, and what's happening to it. It's dying. Right? So we need this stuff. We're actually dependent on plants and animals and water and all kinds of other natural resources. And, and how good of God to give us something like food. And how good of God to give us food that tastes good. I mean, think about it. I've never thought about this before. I mean, God could have created our food that all tastes like styrofoam. We wouldn't have known any better. We wouldn't have. But that we have to eat to stay alive. We're dependent creatures. And that it tastes good. Man, this shows us that, that, that creation is a gift. I mean, you think about the giftedness of creation. You think about the goodness of God to give us food that our body needs and that it tastes good all at the same time. I mean, for those of us who have so much to eat, we take this for granted. To us, just imagine something on our plate. It's a stalk of broccoli. That's all it is. Or it's asparagus. Or it's a, a chicken breast. But man, slow down for a second. I mean, think about all it took for that stalk of broccoli to reach your plate. I mean, what had to happen? What had to happen? There had to be enough adequate what? Water. Yeah, it had to have rain. What else you got to have? Sunlight. You got to have that. What else you got to have? Which what? Soil. You got to have soil. What else you got to have? You better hope somebody is working the soil. Somebody had to work to make that broccoli grow or that asparagus grow. Right? Someone had to harvest these foods for us, and every time, am I making you hungry? But every time you and I bite into a piece of food, broccoli, okay, moon pies. All right, every time we bite into a piece of food, we, we are becoming recipients of forces and people on which we depend and over which we actually have no control whatsoever. I cannot control how much sunlight's going to hit a piece of land. I cannot control the amount of sunlight. Neither can you. See, this is why 
little soapbox moment here. This is why it's so critical for us, the people of God, to say a blessing over the meal before we eat. Just don't go diving into it. <laughs> you know, I mean, slow down. Because there's so much that had to come into play to present this food on your plate. And every time we eat something, we become implicated in the processes according to which it was grown. Most of us don't have a clue where our food comes from. Yeah, I I go to Midwood Smokehouse and bing! Ah, I don't know where this came from, you know, but seriously, I mean, when we eat, we have to ask, you know, where, where was this stuff grown? I, have you ever gotten a tomato in the grocery store and it says product of Argentina? Really? Uh, how was this stuff grown and who grew it? Uh, was the person who grew this, was this farmer treated fairly? Uh, were the workers who harvested it, did they have enough to eat? I think about, uh, you know, I, I, I eat meat, and I love ribeye steaks. And, uh, you know, it's funny how we call it ribeyes. We don't call it cow. <laughs> you know, but, but think about it. I, you know, a cow, for me to have a steak, for you to have a chicken breast, right, that, that, <laughs> that, that chicken and, and that cow had to die. And I, I presume that the cow enjoyed being a cow until that moment. You know, it's funny, but... You know, we're having to take a life for us to, to be nourished. So there's so much at stake here. I mean, you think about the food, where it came from. And every time we bite into something, we're actually voting with our mouths what kind of food system we want, whether it's good or whether it's bad. And man, so, so much is at stake just when we eat food. And, and, it, and it's a gift that we don't think about enough, all the work that goes into it to make all of this happen. Just in, the, just in the petition, give us this day our daily bread. Wow. Wow. This bread here, somebody baked it somewhere. I don't even know where. But there was some work involved. We've got to give thanks for these kinds of things. Give us this day, O oh Lord, our daily bread. Isn't this, if you think about it, a really countercultural kind of petition to pray? Number one, it's countercultural because it puts us in the position of like beggars. Give us, O oh Lord, we have no resources within ourselves to do this. Give us, we're, we're, like, we're like beggars. And we don't like to think of ourselves like that. We like what Kyle was saying in his prayer, very self-sufficient people. It's countercultural for that, for that reason. And secondly, it's countercultural because it shows us as the people of God what we should really desire. Let me put it to you like this. When Jesus taught us to pray, give us this day our daily bread, he was actually teaching us what not to pray for, so much as he was teaching us what to pray for. I've said the last few weeks that the Lord's Prayer really is kind of a template for how our prayers should be. Now, if you're going to use the Lord's Prayer as kind of a model and a pattern, a template for how you pray, notice you're not going to be able to say, oh, Lord, just give me a chance at the lottery. Oh, Lord, I need some cool jeans. You can't pray that at all. What are you praying for? You're just praying for bread. That's all you're praying for. I I confess this. You may be visiting about three weeks ago, the first sermon on this series. I said that there have been moments in my life life where I think my prayer requests have been like spamming God. It's like I'm sending up a request that lands in God's spam folder in his email, you know. And uh, there have been times in my life where I wake up in the morning, and I'm just spamming the Lord. Oh, Lord, just get me this, get me that, get me this, as though God is some kind of tool I can use to get what I want. But really, no. 
Jesus is saying what you should desire is, is just, just bread, simple stuff. There have been a lot of people over the, uh, down through the centuries who have said that when Jesus actually taught us this petition, he was giving us a great act of mercy. Like to say, give us this day our daily bread is such an act of mercy for us. Why? Why do you think it's an act of mercy? Because it actually trains us and disciplines our desires. On our own, we don't have a clue what we want or what we should want. Right? I mean, on our own, our, our desires are like wild horses that just, you know, buck and just drag us all over the place. We think we need so much more than what we actually need for survival. We're like, you know, we can't stop. We just kind of think, oh, I, I got to have uh, 500 more TV channels. I got to have more money. I, I got to have uh, two more be- spare bedrooms. I got to have more what? Well, I mean, you just name it. We just think we have to know, have to have more and more and more and more. Our desires never stop. And yet every time we pray the Lord's Prayer, it's as if God is saying, no, you don't. You don't need all that stuff. Stop kidding yourself. Do you know what you really just need? You just need a little bread. You just need a little clothing. You just need a little shelter. Stop telling me you need more than that. There was another great saint who said that by, by Jesus giving us this petition, what he's doing is that he's trying to save us, save us from all kinds of suffering in our lives. So we're not like pursuing all kinds of just junk in trivial things. He's actually trying to spare us from suffering. And isn't this so true? I mean, the more we want, the more we try to have, and the more we have, the more we fear we're going to lose what we have. And then what does that do to us? It makes us more anxious, more restless, more freaked out. And this always happens when we want more and more and more and more. I was saying in the last service, you know, when I was uh, 10 years old, I didn't care about the business section of the newspaper. I didn't care what the markets were doing. But now all of a sudden this matters. And so what God is trying to do to us when we pray this prayer is he's trying to say, hey, stop chasing the next sale. You, do, you don't have to wear yourself out. You do not have to pour over the business section of the newspaper and think that what it's reporting depends on whether you're going to survive or not. I'll tell you what, when you pray, just pray for bread. That's all you need. You don't really need any more than that. You don't really need any more than that. Um, over the last uh, couple of weeks, uh, I decided to do a little exercise. I've read a lot of John Wesley, but I haven't read as much as I thought I did. <laughs> John Wesley, for those who don't know, he was the founder of the Methodist faith. And uh, I've been reading some of his sermons that I had never read before. And I was thinking about, give us this day our daily bread. I, I got to tell you, guys, you don't, uh, Wesley was a radical. He was a nut. I mean, he really was. He was a nut. And uh, I've been reading these sermons of his, and I totally get why there were churches that he preached at that they kicked him out of the church, and they wouldn't let him come back. And, uh, and I've been reading about how John Wesley, do you know what his greatest fear was for the Methodist people? His greatest fear. His greatest fear was not that Methodists were going to start preaching heresy or believing in heresy. That wasn't his fear. You do, he actually said that his greatest fear is that Methodists would become prosperous people. He says, I'm really scared to death that these Methodists are going to do what I've asked them to do, which is, you know, earn all you can and save all you can, and we're going to work really hard. And then what's going to happen is that people are going to get very successful, and they're going to start building their wealth, and then that's going to be the undoing of the church. That's what Wesley said. 
because then they're going to forget the Lord and they're going to think they've done it all themselves and then we'll just hold on a little tightly, a little more tightly, a little more tightly and we'll think it's all ours. He says, boy, that's my greatest fear. So what I did this past week, I, I uh, opened a book of sermons and I read this sermon of his that I never read before called uh, The Danger of Riches. And I wish I would have never read that sermon why did God tell me to do this? And I, and I read this sermon of John Wesley's, and I was so burdened by it. So i got to tell you what I read. And, uh, you know, he, he, says, he says this. All right, so he preaches this sermon on the danger of riches, and he's riffing on uh, this verse from 1 Timothy chapter 6. And Paul says in 1 Timothy 6 that those who want to be rich fall into all kinds of traps. And then John Wesley begins there, and he says, that, uh, he says this. All right, those who desire to be rich... He says, anybody, this is what Wesley said, anybody who wants more than just simple food, simple clothing, simple shelter, they're the ones who desire to be rich. If you want anything more than that, you, he says, are the people who desire to be rich. Whoa. And then he goes on to ask the congregation a question in his sermon. He says this. This is straight out of his sermon. Who of you desires to be rich? Who of you desires to have more than just the plain necessities of life? Food, clothing, a little bit of shelter. Then he says this in his sermon. Stop it! What are you doing? You are running to the point of a sword. Wow. And then he says, by the grace of God, I tell you, turn and live. By the grace of God, stop it. Turn and live. We hear, it's, oh, it's bad news. I feel terrible. No, John Wesley knew that this is freedom right here. Turn and live. John Wesley goes on to say in other sermons that he believed that whoever has uh, more than basic clothing and shelter and, and, and food have more than all of these possessions or these, this excess of possession. It is actually meant for those who don't have it. If you've got more then what you need, it actually belongs, John Wesley said, to the people who do not have it. See, when we say the words of the Lord's Prayer, notice what we're saying, like we talked about this three weeks ago. Give us this day our daily bread, right? We are praying in the plural. It's not just my bread, it's our bread. So when you and I, and I have a lot of food, I have a lot of the world's goods, when we who have so much pray the words of the Lord's Prayer, we're actually joining our voices with those in this world and in our community for whom the words, give us this day our daily bread, is a reality. And we're saying that what I have in excess, I am obligated to share. I am obligated to share. That's John Wesley. Tough. Here's a Haitian proverb. Maybe I shared this with you. The proverb goes like this. God gives, but God doesn't share. God gives, but God doesn't share. What does that mean? Well, it means God has given creation everything it needs for everybody to have exactly what they need. But who's got to share it? We do. God doesn't distribute it. We do. God gives, but God doesn't share. And Whatever we see hunger, the Bible's pretty clear on this. Wherever we see hunger in the world, it's not God's doing, it's ours. I mean, when a calf is born from a cow, it doesn't come with a price per pound on it. You know, when a bean sprout comes up from the ground, it doesn't have a UPC code. We're the ones who put the price tags on things. 
So when you and I, and we're going to pray this prayer in a second, when you and I pray, give us this day our daily bread, what we're actually saying is, Lord, make sure I have just enough. Make sure I just have just enough food, just enough clothing, just enough shelter. And please help me from hoarding anymore. And whatever I have in abundance, I will, I will release to those who do not have it. That's what we're praying. You know, in our lesson that I just read to us, you know, that no doubt Jesus was influenced by this, this story. You know, Moses tells the people, you know, here, here comes the bread. It comes to you every day. And make sure you collect just what you need for the day. Now, if they collected more than just a day's ration, what happened to it, did the text say? It spoiled. Had a foul stench. It stinks. And so I was reading this, and I had an idea for a sermon this week that I thought I was going to preach on today. I had this idea, and I, and I said to myself, you know, I said to myself, I, I wonder if, like, like, my closets or my cabinets or even my bank accounts, like, stink in the nostrils of God. Do they stink? And I shared this with a couple of people. Like, here's my idea. And they're like, dude, that's weird. So I took it off. It didn't make the cut. <laughs> but I'll tell you, though, where I was going to go with it. Because there's a phrase that Paul uses in the New Testament where he says that our lives should become a pleasing aroma to God. Our lives should become a pleasing aroma to God. <sighs> and what I was thinking is that, like, if we know that hoarding stinks, then what's the opposite? What smells good to God? Sharing. We know that a lifestyle of sharing and generosity, we know that smells good. You know, there was a great saint. His name was Cyprian. I was thinking about naming my son that. Just kidding. But Cyprian, Cyprian once said this. He says, you know what the bank accounts of heaven are? Do you know what the storehouses of heaven are? You know what the investment accounts of heaven are? They are the bellies of the hungry. Because when you make a deposit in the belly of someone who's hungry, the interest rate's like a million percent. So for those of you who brought some food today, we're going to feed the poor. We're going to feed the hungry with that. <laughs> it's a good investment. It's a good investment. Ah, Proverbs 30. I'm almost done. Proverbs 30, uh, verse 8. I love this. Proverbs 30 in the Old Testament says, Lord, give me neither poverty nor riches. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Man, could you imagine like this becoming your mantra in life? Lord, just give me enough, okay? That's all I want is just enough. Don't make me poor because if I'm poor, out of desperation, I might actually do something harmful. But don't make me wealthy either because if I'm too rich, then I'll forget that I actually depend on your gifts and your goodness for my sustenance, and then I can forget who you are, and I'll think it's mine. Give me neither poverty and riches that's really what we are praying when we say together give us this day our daily bread thanks for listening to this week's message from harrison church to stay connected to harrison happenings please follow us on facebook or twitter at harrison umc or online at harrisonchurch.org